0: What's going on, everybody? This is Patriot Underground here. I just want to say a couple words on behalf of a couple of amazing sponsors of this show. Grassfedinusa.com slash Patriot Underground and switch-stores.com slash Patriot Underground. You're going to see links for both of those in the description. And I just want to tell folks, first of all, the grass-fed beef is absolutely incredible. We're talking about farm-to-table, no mRNA injections, no antibiotics, no hormones, no magnets sticking to your beef. The incredible flavor, folks, I can't even get over it. The filet mignon is my favorite, but they have ribeye, ground beef, all different cuts at prices that, quite frankly, are stunning. I was, I was shocked at how low the prices are, considering the quality of what you're getting shipped directly to your door. This is a no-brainer, folks. Check it out and switch Hyphen dot com slash Patriot underground is the place to go to do all of your shopping for your household and your personal items. This is a no brainer, folks. We have to create a new economy. We have to vote with our dollars, with our financial resources. Hopefully there'll be U.S. notes pretty soon. But certainly our financial resources, our energy has to be directed toward companies and toward causes that are aligned with us spiritually. Politically and in every other way that it's going to take for us to take this across the finish line, it's incumbent upon us to shop with the good guys and to defund the cabal to the best of our ability by ditching the big box conglomerates. So switch hyphen stores dot slash Patriot Underground links in the description and grass fed in usacom slash Patriot Underground. Check them out today, folks. You're going to absolutely love it. All right. Enjoy the show, everybody. Patriot out. All right, everyone. Hello and welcome to Patriot Underground. Today is November 5th, 2023. Thank you so much for joining me, folks, to discover the truth beneath the surface. As always, I really do appreciate everybody out there taking the time to listen. So today, it's my pleasure to welcome back my friend S.G. Anand to the show. And it's rather fitting on a day that the awakened always anticipate. Remember, remember the 5th of November, and honestly, it's hard to believe that we're already past red October 2023. We're heading into the end of what has been, by all accounts, another truly epic year in this battle to remove evil from our midst. And we're going to examine where we are in the phase and in the, in the final phases of this war. I think you'll agree with me, SG, that we've entered into these critical last phases of this epic battle and we're going to examine that statement from multiple different angles tonight. And what I anticipate is going to be another interesting discussion, as is the norm when you come on the show. So I really do appreciate you taking the time. Welcome back. How have you been?
1: Doing well, my friend. Thank you for having me back. And yes, we're at an incredible point here in, uh, I think, American and human history. And it's only going to get more exciting as we go forward.
0: Absolutely, well, you know what? I thought we could start out with a question about Trump comms because I know that this is a topic that you follow very closely as I do as a key element of your analysis, and also just to frame the the question a little bit, you'll recall in our last discussion that we were talking about you know projecting into November you know of next year and basically talking about the e b s and we both kind of agreed that we would see the EBS prior to the next election cycle. So with that in mind, Trump recently said that they, meaning the deep state, of course, can do tremendous damage to our elections and to our country in one year. And he followed that up by saying, and we're not going to let that happen. And then, so that was one speech. I can't recall exactly where that is, You, where that was, rather. You might be able to uh, remind me, but he's also said recently that we're going to experience a November event that will be the biggest in the history of our country. So what do you make of Trump's recent comms? I mean, certainly there have been several others as well, but he seems to be communicating that overt action in the form of what we all anticipate is going to be the EBS or the EAS. He seems to be sort of indicating that that's going to happen before the next election cycle, like we were just discussing. And perhaps we could be looking at a major false flag or other historical event this month. And of course, it's also possible he could be referring to November of 2024. We don't really know. I mean, we obviously hope that's not the case, but we really don't know what Trump is referring to. It's the reason why we try to decode what he says, because it's so important to, to unravel and unpack the meaning in his statements, because he puts things out there. And sometimes it, it just completely goes off the radar of most people. So what's your reaction to his recent statements in light of where we find ourselves at this critical phase? Because I'm glad you agree where we really have entered into these uh, what, what I see as, as the final year of this war before not, not to suggest that everything is going to get tied up into a little package, but before we really get to the critical phase of the EBS. So I'll pass it over to you, SG. What are your thoughts?
1: You know, my thoughts on Trump's comms are that every speech that he gives is loaded with some element of comms. And there's a reason that he does a lot of these speeches in the locations that he does. Right. Kissimmee, Florida, uh, New Hampshire, many, many times in the last four to six months. And we know there's a tremendous amount of information out there to support that New Hampshire and a couple of other areas are gigantic sort of self-insulated money laundering feeder arms for this worldwide cabal. Um, So. I want to clarify something really quick with with President Trump and discussing the final battle, the lead up to the 2024 presidential election, all of this. And then the commentary recently about a November event uh, just recently, I think in the last 48 hours, he said he confirmed at a rally that Hillary was gone and that there were actually watermarked ballots that were used in the 2020 election. So good job, conspiracy theorists. You were ahead of the curve on that one yet again. Um as we look at what's occurring here, I don't think this is the final phase of the battle. I think this is the final phase or the conclusion of this phase of the war. And as we go through what amounts to the brass, the brass tax awakening of mankind, where everyone is sort of discussing these these terminologies on their lips. Right. Everyone uh, aware that the nefariousness that occurred with Epstein influenced the intelligence community, influenced the government, influenced all of these things. Right. All of that mankind awakening. Uh, I think we're we're very nearly to the end of that battle, if you will, where we're going to see a tremendous amount of, uh, quite frankly, growth in the patriot conservative community, not only in the U.S., but around the rest of the world that I think that event, I think, uh, throws us into a more worldwide Like you said, a false flag style situation, because at that point, that's all the deep state has left. And you might as well do it anyway. Right. When everyone knows that the emperor has no clothes, then you might as well act like a naked fool on stage. And that's exactly what I think we're going to see happen in this uh, in you know, going through this year and into 2024. Now, we could have that November event this month. I don't personally believe that it will be this month, but I, I think that there's a good possibility. Um, If you come from the World War angle that we see tremendous events kick off, um, you know, the afterburner of awakening through the winter months and into the early spring when we have the Trump trials where where he is supposedly going to present allegedly classified evidence, which I take that to mean military intelligence gathered information at the highest levels of government to show that not only were the 2020 election uh, stolen from the peoples of the United States, but they almost stole the 2016 one also. Um, Excuse me. And the information is supposed to come from both of these elections. So I think as we move through the year, like you said, we don't arrive at a 2024 election at all because we won't have they they the deep state. What remnant remains of their power structure is not going to uh, go quietly into that good night. Right. This is existential for them. It, It makes the most logical sense that they're going to run everything all of the way up against the glass until we squash them out of oblivion. But when that happens, in this process leading to the transfer of power back to we, the people, in other words, when the United States is brought to a standing still uh, for whatever events occur over the next, we'll say, you know, 30 days up to, say, nine months from now in that period of time. Right. These events are going to be pivotal for our country. Um, and I think what we're going to end up with is after we reclaim these levers of power which I do believe to be symbolic is going to happen in the 2024 election in some form or fashion, right? A November event, uh, biggest in the history of our country. That tells me maybe a military-administered election to uh, purge all of the different levels of power everywhere, right? Community levers, uh, county clerk's offices, judgeships, um, snap elections for state representatives and state senators, and then, of course, the Congress and the federal level. What that effectively does is it purges the corruption from the system and creates a slate where we, the people, are now occupying the levers of power. Can you imagine the war machine that we, the people, will then take to what's remains of the deep state apparatus around the world? Can you imagine what's going to happen to Pfizer as a result of Congress? congressional investigations for crimes against humanity or what's going to happen to these different governments in europe uh, the South african nation the united states government right the individuals that were involved in this treason after we the people have these powers back and that's where we're headed i believe in this regard so when we talk about trump's comms Trump the entire time from from 2020 till now has done nothing but tell people it's really bad right now but it's going to be really great it's really bad right now but it's going to be the greatest thing that you that you could ever dream of, right? Freedom cities and this American way of life that we've all dreamed about. So this is a man, I think, who has a very good pulse, a very good finger, if you will, on how these operations are going. And I think the next the conclusion of this phase is at hand. And the next phase is where we, the people in coordination with a military alliance, begin to actually administer public justice.
0: Well, absolutely. And I, I completely agree with you. And I'm glad that you clarified that, because I've talked about this many times. It's not just about Getting to the EBS and and witnessing this reversal event take place, that yes, in, in in many ways, like you said, that's going to be the end of a phase of this war, but that doesn't mean that it's the final phase. That doesn't mean. I, in fact, I think that's where a lot of the real uh, difficult work begins, quite frankly. But I think it's that that moment when there is this wide spread, really global, worldwide acknowledgement of who the enemy really is and I think for patriots and anon's out there we we sort of we sort of define the final phases of this battle of this war as such you know the taking down the mainstream media no longer having to wake up in this world of deception every single day where the truth is marginalized and, and ultimately there's this like I said there's this kind of mass acknowledgement and really this this awakening that occurs and from that point of course that we have many many different uh, tasks ahead of us, let's just say that that are, are awaiting. But I think that's really what everybody out there is really waiting for. That's why there's so much discussion around the EBS and the military taking over and this near death experience. And it certainly appears that we're moving toward that. And obviously, a big part of that discussion is what's going on in Israel. So we're going to dig in a little bit here. And I thought since I started with a question about Trump and his comms, that we could maybe dig a little bit deeper here and we could discuss that through the fog of war lens, if you will, as it pertains to Trump's public positions on recent geopolitical events. Now, optically, it appears that 45 is throwing his support behind Netanyahu and his regime and the Zionist agenda. But I'm curious to hear your analysis of why he's taking that approach, much to the consternation of much of the patriot community, similar to what we bemoaned with regard to his approach to the vaccine issue, for example, in Operation Warp Speed. But of course, we have to point out that there were significant tactical reasons for his course of action with regard to the bioweapon. And in a similar way, his apparent allegiance to Netanyahu raises similar questions. So what do you make of Trump's support of, quote unquote, Israel? Because that could mean many different things. Is he gaming the enemy here? And if so, to what end?
1: Um, I think he absolutely is, because this is an irregular warfare situation that's occurring there. And we already know as awakened patriots, having done the research and really looked into not only the background of that war that's currently uh, playing out, but also the geography of the world and what exists underground there and quite frankly, what exists within the Israeli state. Um, there's a lot of other angles at play here, right? Jerusalem has more than 10 biological laboratories just on its own. And they make manuf- they manufacture different chemicals and different additive agents and reagents and things like that for pharmaceutical industries. So as we look and and underneath Gaza, we've got hundreds of miles of tunnels. So as we look at these, as at these other uh, angles of this, we have to acknowledge that this is part of the clean out that is occurring and to occupy everyone at the surface level on here on top of the world, right with, <laughs> excuse me, the type of events that have been spawned off, what what goals have been accomplished here? We've highlighted out to the Israeli people in no uncertain terms that their government is against them. Many of them are already aware of that. As a matter of fact, 76 percent of Israelis hate Netanyahu and think that he's a traitor. Um, we've highlighted out the Israeli Mossad and, and the defense intelligence community, the defense industrial complex in that area. Um, having no qualms or compunction at all about sacrificing their own people in the middle, um, as well as highlighted out the different brainwashing from the Israeli population about Gaza and from the Palestinian population about Israel. Um. So this is a massive, massive awakening moment that we cannot sort of set to the side, because this is going to fundamentally change how the balance of power in that area of the world is interpreted and adjudicated when we're on the other side of this. Now, you asked why Trump is ingratiating himself publicly. I think that's because of the MK Ultra brainwashing in the West. I think that's because of the evangelical community. God love them. They're amazing, God fearing people, many of whom. Um, you know, believe Israel to be God's nation and God's people, and they can't sort of accept the idea or crunch it out in their mind that the state of Israel in its current form is no different than the state of the Pentagon or the state of the US CIA. It's the same entity. Um, and the Jewish people, the real Israelis, the we, the people that are caught in the middle, they don't like their own government and they haven't liked their own government for quite a while, actually. Um, we need to look no further than the, the draconian COVID vaccination mandates that were put out by this very government, um, here in, you know, the one that's operating here and now. So, excuse me, that community. Forms a tremendous amount of support for the MAGA base. And what's President Trump's number one goal? To unite the country in enough of a fashion that he can get a We the People um, optic back into the White House, but also spearhead a We the People movement that unearths this truth organically. In other words, it doesn't come from the pulpit of a political leader, it comes from the unearthing and the discovery of mankind through our we the people citizen journalism and open discussions, the truth of the nature of events that are really occurring here. And we do so while we also restore the, the, the pride in uh, being a patriot here in the United States, the pride in being a supporter of the Jewish state um, of, you know, excuse me, of the Jewish people of Israel, um, being, a, uh, you know, taking a little bit of pride, I think in uh, accepting the truth for ourselves rather than having it dictated to us. I think this is part of this process Trump can't afford to split off MAGA uh, simply because of the forces that are attempting to work against MAGA um, in the foreground. Anyway, you have this, um, you know, actor Biden who's up there in in this cog operation that is just doing his level best to destroy the idea of what MAGA is. And then you've got, you know, really what remains of the death cult all around the world through Hollywood media, newspapers, and, and you know, journalism and other other things that have warped the idea of what the We the People, America First movement is all about. And have actually been very successful at gaslighting a lot of the younger generation to the idea that we're terrorists. Right. So <laughs> when you look at this and you appreciate that we have to keep that vote together, but we also have to highlight out to the rest of the world what the true nature of the problem here really is we can go back and we can look at trump's truth social and we can see some very profound espionage warfare tactics being deployed in these truths that he's put out discussing support of netanyahu support of the israeli state and the right to defend itself etc etc and one of those truths is just a truth with a couple of hashtags in it It says i stand with bb and then the other hashtag is i stand with israel well is and then is spells isis and so we know that, we know that Trump has highlighted in 2016 and then again in 2018 and 19 that he believes unequivocally that Barack Obama and the Hillary Clinton State Department founded ISIS. I don't think this is a man who is unaware of the true geopolitical nature of things at the at the foreign nation state level. As a matter of fact, I think he's very acutely aware of how money contributes to the funding and really the ownership of certain things. And when we look at the funding, the ISIS caliphate, the creation of all terrorist groups going back 30 to thirty thirty to 40 years uh, ties back to the U.S. Pentagon, the U.S. CIA The Israeli Mossad and then whatever other intelligence communities were in the geographic proximity of relevance for that period of time. Hamas was a creation of the Pentagon, the CIA and the, and the Israeli government back in the late 1970s. And then we poured fuel on the fire during the first Bush administration in the early nineties to counter the rise of Yasser Arafat and the Palestinian Liberation Organization. So this goes back a long way. And I think Trump is telling us without telling us that yes, we as evangelicals should support the idea of the Jewish people, uh, the Hebraic bloodline, having you know a place that they can call home, right? But we have to clarify a lot about what that really means. And we have to realize that the state of Israel right now is no different than the phony Biden government that we're all living under.
0: Oh, isn't that the truth? Absolutely. Well, that's a great answer, S.G. I appreciate that. And, you know, you talked about how public opinion is so drastically against Netanyahu. It's It's interesting. The Israelis really are rising up against him. We, I saw a video. I actually shared this on Telegram. I don't know if you actually saw this, but uh, there were a group of protesters, a very large group outside of Netanyahu's residence, literally calling him a murderer and demanding his resignation, waving the Israeli flag. So to me, this is just more evidence that the people of Israel are awake. And we certainly know about the Jerusalem Post poll, this has been cited God knows how many times at this point, for good reason, 86% believe that the quote-unquote attack by Hamas was indeed a false flag inside job, stand-down order, literally. So do you think that given the fact that Netanyahu was so massively unpopular prior to the triggering of this false flag event, due to his, well, I mean, there are many different reasons, but among them are his unilateral move to strip the judiciary of its power to derail the corruption investigations against him and, of course, all of his associates. Do you think that we're likely to see an internal move made against the Zionist regime? And if so, do you think it will be in the form of civil war? Because that's certainly a a term that's been associated with the political climate in Israel for quite some time now, them being on the verge of civil war. Or do you think There's a possibility we could see a military coup by patriots within the IDF or yet another possibility. Do you think it's not going to go in that direction and that other nations in the region are going to eventually get drawn into the conflict? How do you see this playing out?
1: You know, I wish that I I was as optimistic to say that it could be handled in a Civil War fashion, but in the same vein that the CIA has hyper-advanced weaponry and a tremendous amount of control over the U.S. Pentagon and various available component forces – the same is true in the Israeli Defense Force. And so a true civil war situation, just like here in the United States, I don't think that it actually would be winnable for we the people because of the chasm that now exists between weaponry available to the people, um, which in Israel is not much. I don't think they're allowed to own firearms there, but don't quote me. Um, but even here, even with, you know, taking that example back to the United States and tying those two, you know, sort of together, the ability to resist and fight the overarching regime, I think is, is a deck that is stacked highly against us. That would be a very long, very bloody conflict. I think the more likely um, resolution to all of this, quite frankly, is the we the people in Israel, um, not only the Jews, but also the Arabs that live within the Israeli state and all get along great. And nobody talks about this, but we need to talk about the fact that we the people really are the same. There are Palestinians that get along wonderfully with Jewish people, and the same is true in reverse. Um, and I think you see that conglomeration of the citizenry. Um, acting in a in a, a coup-style fashion against their own government with the support of an Arab coalition. I think that this is going to take bigger guns, and I think this is going to take more involvement in the Middle East to un, unentrench um, the Israeli Mossad out of that area of the world and, quite frankly, the Zionist regime's control of a, of a number of different uh, energy sectors and, and access points throughout the Middle East and the Eastern Mediterranean sort of being their playground for all sorts of nefarious activity. Um, I think we see Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Iran, um, all of the main players, Iraq, uh, in this before it's over. Qatar is already in this. Yemen is already in this. The Houthis are all – I mean they're shooting missiles at Israeli ships in the Red Sea and at Israeli forces in the Negev Desert. Um, So this the idea that the Arab states are not already involved I think is beginning to fade. I think the involvement is – Uh, Absolutely there. But we're waiting for the domino to fall on who in the Arab world is going to formally declare war in this situation on behalf of what's happening in Gaza. And I think that's probably going to be uh, Erdogan. And when that occurs, uh, Turkey being the sort of the de facto leader of the Sunni Muslim world, um, I think you see a really strained position put on Egypt to not enter the war. I think they will have to come into it. Um, Syria, I think, will come into it just because of their proximity to Israel and Turkey. Um, I think you're going to see an unusual, actually, uh, an unprecedented cooperation between Iranian Shiite uh, Muslim uh, forces in the Middle East and Turkish and perhaps even Saudi Arabian Sunni Muslim forces. And, of course, Iraq will be in this before it's all over. Uh, But again, I think this is necessary to actually get the beast out of the Middle East and, and get true justice for not just the Palestinian people, but also the Israelis who have been terrorized for generations now. Um, the the assertion that the Israeli state has not been a soft core totalitarian regime in the exact same uh, template playbook, if you will, as the U.S. government post 9-11-2001 and with the passage of the Patriot Act and different actions and things like that, um, I think we're fooling ourselves. There's not a difference in those entities, and we have to acknowledge that this is a very unpleasant a route to do this but it will be an effective i think in a in a permanent way an effective um um attempt if well attempt's not the right word an effective um conclusion of this regime's ability and this military intelligence defense contra- defense complex's ability to control worldwide policy through their mastery of the energy and the antiquities that are in the Middle East
0: Well, that's interesting. Okay. So, I mean, that actually segues into a question that I was going to ask you about Iran, because, you know, you mentioned several of the different countries, but you also brought up Iran and the Houthi uh, rebels. But I thought it was, and it seems very clear to me that you're suggesting that this is the cat's, in a sense, sort of already out of the bag, that this is going to be a regional conflict, that there's really not much hope that we're going to see any type of internal move by patriots within the IDF. Now, let me just ask you really quickly, do you see the Israeli military, do you see the IDF as being divided between white hat elements, patriotic elements, and deep state elements like so many other, like most militaries in the world? Or do you see the IDF really as being entirely entrenched uh, in terms of protecting the Zionists?
1: Um, I think the IDF is split just like most of the first world militaries. You have you know, Jews that enter the force, all of them required to enter at 18 years old. Many of them make a career out of it. Um, and you have individuals, I think, that really want to do right by their craft and their trade and by their calling in life to serve and defend. Um, and then you have others who eventually they arrive at the point where it's more about gainsmanship and what they can accomplish and the different political moves that they can make. Perhaps they want to leave the IDF and enter into government, right? A similar playbook to the United States. Um, so there, I think there's absolutely, um, compromise within that force. And it's not to, you know, highlight out that most of the, the entry level personnel, right? The enlisted are mostly decent human beings who are wishing to serve their country and protect their civilization and, and, you know, walk that higher purpose and that higher mission. Uh, But you get a lot of corruption, I think, at the brass and flag officer level. And that's true of of every modern military everywhere, even including Russia. Um, They've sacked a number of commanders just as a result of the special military operation, highlighting out those who are not willing to, um, you know, correspond or excuse me, to execute the orders that they were given exactly as they were given. Um, So this this is a situation, again, where we have to flesh out and draw out the um, infestation right the the hydra that has the tentacles there within the government and within the military control complex and we have to give those who are true patriots and who wish good for the people the chance to um, you know switch sides if the opportunity comes up or perhaps set up a, a gameplay where we can um, launch a coup with the help of a united coalition right maybe some one defects from the israeli defense force to a major military like iran or egypt and gives them very valuable information right and so we form a coalition that way i think this is very possible now this is just speculation i'm not a military war strategist by any means but this seems to be the logical progression of events given the type of entrenchment we're dealing with when you cannot turn your own guns on one another because they might actually have more guns than you do as far as the as far as the good versus the bad then we have to remember that um Another another unconventional uh, draw out has to occur, and it has to be done in such a fashion that the other party is unable to resist as effectively splitting the IDF's ability to, excuse me, concentrate any sort of black hat forces in in a, a significant rebuffing way, which just seems to be what we're setting up right now between Egypt in the south, Syria, Turkey and Iran to the north and northeast. And then you've got Iraq to the east and Saudi Arabia to the southeast. Um, this seems to be exactly the type of setup that we're dealing with. Right. The Israeli forces, much like any force, you know, any modern military fighting force are very, very good in one direction. You start splitting the fronts, especially with with capable and competent enemies. And you run into very, very large chances for failure because ground that you lose in one uh, uh, excuse me, ground that you gain in one can be simultaneously lost in the other. And you have a net loss of, of actual you know, victory or campaign through the day or through the weeks or months or however long these events take place. So, you know, drawing that black hat entrenchment out and also awakening the world to its presence and to just how uh, vicious and um, virulent it really is in the system, I think that's what we're seeing played out right now. I mean, we just saw a U.S. boomer and Ohio-class boomer submarine arrive in the Gulf of Aqaba. Um, That's within striking distance of Iran. It's also within striking distance of the Syrian countryside and of Israel. Um, So, you know, these these sorts of events, I think, remain to be seen. Um, But the sensible, I think, progression or conclusion at this point is that based on the rhetoric and based on the actions that are that are kinetically occurring in that area of the world, it's likely to get bigger before it gets better.
0: Okay, so. You know, I was hoping and, you know, listening to your, your breakdown, I'm inclined to agree with you. I was hoping, though, that given the political climate within Israel and the fact that I mean, you mentioned firearms, they're actually arming the israeli uh, government is arming its own citizens now that could mean a lot of different things certainly that could be there's a lot of different angles that we could look at that at but if there are a significant amount of patriots within the idf and there's this political climate there where there's really this appetite for revolution to unseat netanyahu if he's that unpopular i had been thinking that you know there might be a possibility that yes indeed we'll see a lot of saber rattling and we're going to see some skirmishes certainly for lack of a better term as opposed to you know all out war involving all of these regional powers because then that of course draws the united states directly into the conflict and then pretty much we're off to the races and we've got world war 3 uh, and i was you know kind of hoping that we could steer clear of that and one of the reasons that i was clinging to that hope was uh you probably saw the The rally given by, what's his name, the the head of um, Hezbollah, um, Hassan Nasrallah. He came out the other day in front of a massive crowd in Beirut. And, you know, basically he just rattled his saber when many were expecting him to announce a declaration of war against Israel. And certainly we know that Hezbollah is controlled by Iran. And then on the other hand, you mentioned the Houthi rebels that have already made a declaration of war against Israel and are actively involved in the fighting. So there's kind of a paradoxical situation here. But to me, Hezbollah not coming out directly and just declaring war on Israel, given the circumstance. I mean, who knows? Maybe they're waiting for the full ground invasion to commence before they actually go ahead and make that statement. But to me, it indicated a level of restraint on Iran's part, and I think there are a lot of analysts out there who are looking at Iran specifically as the wild card in this, in this entire situation. So to me, you know, it, it suggests, like I said, that Iran is exercising at least a degree of restraint, similar to Russia in the sense that you know, they appeared to resist the bait. They did really resist the bait to escalate this conflict when they were taking all of these drone strikes on their own territory and so forth. And so it it really does kind of raise the the question about how if what you're saying is true, and I and I do believe that you're you're probably correct that these countries are really already involved, and it looks as if this is going to spiral into at least a regional war. Where does that put the United States? Where does that put the White Hats versus the Black hats in our own military does Biden actually have any sort of control over our forces to the to the degree that we could get directly involved in this Mideast East War? What are your thoughts on that? You know my
1: thoughts on that are you know as as we look at how this escalation could play out, and it's worth noting that this isn't a guarantee. I mean we could see something like a military coup within the i d f for example tomorrow. And some announcement, um, you know, requesting a ceasefire and a, everybody coming to the table for a discussion that could be you know, unprecedented and, quite frankly, pivotal for human history. We really don't know. Um, but assuming for a moment that it does escalate in some form because of the nature of the threat we're dealing with, I think that brings into question um, who in the United States forces are going to go along with actions that are clearly instigated by the Israeli Mossad and the CIA and different Five Eyes intelligence assets that have co- coordinated tremendous amounts of weaponry, equipment, pilfering, um, warlordship, etc. in the Middle East, right? Um, it, it, looking at this process, you asked about, you know, Biden and whether Biden has control, I think that we can sort of categorically say that Biden has no serious control over the military at all. He's been rebuffed from the Pentagon a number of times, actually. But we can say that um, every general has a number of soldiers, right, that are at their command. And every general has colonels who have majors who have uh, second and first lieutenants and captains. Right. And so these these chains of command um, are are sort of difficult to deal with when you've got a tremendous amount of the military compromised at the very top level and a number of individuals beneath them who are not allowed to question orders. Um, so what we've got is we've got a number of rogue flag officers, rogue commanders that I think the U.S. Marine Corps primarily has been going around silently for more than four or five years now and removing them. Um, It's possible we just saw something like that occur with the sudden hospitalization of the Marine Corps Commandant. Uh, We really don't know. And I don't want to speculate on anyone's legacy or their service record by any means. But I am saying that we have infiltration in our military flag uh, command community in the same way that the IDF has theirs. And if we wish to highlight that out, uh, who in different operational theaters, who in different chains of command of logistics, supply, um intelligence, you know, reconnoitering, all of this sort of thing, uh, who's on our side and who's against us. We have to expose them to a warfare situation where the decisions must be made and where they cannot hide behind paperwork and bureaucracy. And that's exactly been the problem, as we've looked through over the last few decades, is that everyone is able to hide behind. That's another agency's department. That's another commander's division. That's someone else's responsibility. But when you present a national security situation, there is no hiding anymore. So looking at this process, I think that we see a number of things um, very telling highlighted out for the United States, as well as the rest of the world. Uh, The Russians don't want a shooting match uh, with the United States and the black hat community. And I don't think the United States military in the white hat sense wants a shooting match with Russia either. China is sort of a wild card with their brokers, their brokerage of arms deals in the Middle East. But then we've got the nuclear capable state of Israel and we really don't know what's going to occur in that area. So I think it's possible. We also have good assets in the eastern Mediterranean, in the Red Sea. The 26th Mu has been there for a while. Uh, meeting first with the Saudi Arabian government prior to the the onset of these hostilities, which tells me that someone had some advance notice. Um, But I think we've got some, you know, some containment forces, if you will, that are deployed in these areas. And what occurs within those forces as we highlight saboteurs in our ranks, that's really going to be, I think, the wild card that everyone's wanting to see how it plays.
0: Mm, Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, Before we leave the topic of Israel, I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit about what's going on underground beneath the surface. The tunnel wars, you actually brought up the hundreds of, I don't even know if it's hundreds or thousands of miles of tunnels that they have underneath Israel, and this is playing a major role in what's transpiring there. Now, Benjamin Fulford put out some intel that Netanyahu and the Zionists, the real Netanyahu, not the actor that we're seeing on TV— are actually hiding underground and being pursued by the White Hats, some posing as Hamas and some posing as IDF. But they have this immense network of tunnels going back all the way to the rule of Sargon of Akkad. I can't remember what the exact dates were, but I'm curious if you have any intel or you can offer any information based on the research that you've done on what's going on beneath the surface in Israel in this underground war. Well, you know, I've not read
1: Mr. Fulford's report. I find it interesting because the research that I was um, aggregating actually for the next file in some regard was going to discuss this this issue. Um, I don't believe that Netanyahu has gone underground or whoever the original Netanyahu might be. Um, But I do believe those pulling the strings in the Israeli judiciary and in the Israeli government, the Knesset government, um, have gone underground and are attempting to exfiltrate out of the country through tunnels under the eastern Mediterranean. And so, you know, this brings us back to this multi-angular consideration, right? We have biological terrorism that it's occurring in the in the state of Israel violating every international accord. We have tremendous amounts of tunnel systems that are extremely old, thousands of years old that go deep underground beneath the Eastern Mediterranean countryside, and those actually connect to to enormous underground caverns, think hundreds of miles wide, um uh, beneath the Eastern Mediterranean Excuse me, on the Sinai shelf there, the Suez and all of that. Um, and it forms an underground civilization. They actually have a, a tremendous amount of artifacts and antiquities that were stolen from mankind, uh, buried in this area of the world. And of course, we know that there are tunnels under this area that go through underneath the Mediterranean Sea and come up beneath the Italian peninsula. So these are the areas that are being assaulted, but I also believe we have other areas in the Middle East being assaulted because we have a look here, not there situation going on, right? We have divided the deep state's ability to maintain uh, military intelligence dissemination and aggregation in real time. We've degraded it tremendously with the various conflicts that have been spawned off, the different actions that Putin has taken, um, not just militarily but also financially, the different actions that Xi has taken financially, soon to be militarily. Um, Same thing with the Arab nations, right? The Arab nations involvement and the need to focus their attention on this. We have other um, areas of the Middle East where this infrastructure underground is being assaulted. We have a number of earthquakes recorded in Pakistan and northern Iran just in recent days. We have several earthquakes recorded directly underneath the um, South China Sea just in, in, in recent days, right? In the last 96 hours, we have an earthquake in North Africa in the last week or so. Um, and all of these systems underground are connected, right? That's the thing. There's a spider web of tunnels that go beneath these continental shelves and they sort of track and trace, if you will, um, major direct routes that we could see here at the surface on a map. So understanding then that the Hamas tunnel systems serve more than just a purpose for funneling weapons. They, excuse me, they serve as an access point if you're the good guys or a getaway point if you're the bad guys for a very, very large underground network that is you know tens of miles beneath the surface and is enormous in breadth and scope um this is not an easy operation right there's a reason that special special forces from the united states and other countries as well have been in this area there's a reason that the german military has flown into kyrgyzstan and turkey a number of times uh, in recent weeks there's a reason that the iranian uh military has been uh, so active in in running the the underground drills that they've been running um sort of in in uh, alignment with um Oh, what's that group? The Taliban out of Afghanistan. Right. Similar patterns, different interpretations of the same religion and diff- probably different social differences at the top um, or, or obvious social differences, I should say. But the same sort of military patterns of training that have been occurring. Um, so what's occurring here in Israel and what has been occurring around the rest of the world for a long time has a number of different dimensions at play. Right. We have the surface dimensions of highlighting the, the entrenchment. We have the surface dimensions of drawing it out and highlighting out saboteurs so that they are not able to hide anymore. We have the angle of destroying hidden military equipment, weapons, caches, right? They're going to be forced to draw out of the caches they've stored in Kurdistan, for example, because Turkey will destroy them if they don't. Um, so we're going to see this process play out, I think, in a very big way. And before this is all over, I think we see a number of underground tunnel systems in the Mediterranean actually talked about uh, on the mainstream news, if you will, Um, Or or at that level with that sort of regularity because it's going to be so impressive and so vast, right? These are incredible chasm systems that are beneath this area of the world. They're very, very old, and there's just a lot to get out of
0: them. Absolutely. Well, all right. Well, you brought up – you kind of shifted a little bit in your response over to the Pacific Rim, and that was actually where I wanted to go next. And I thought we could kind of dig into that and just kind of get your thoughts, your most up-to-date thoughts on what's happening in that theater because we know it's a very, very important one. In fact, I had really expected that we were going to see a conflagration into kinetic action between China and Taiwan or we were going to see North Korea maybe do something before we saw Israel. I mean, I think a lot of folks were thinking along those same lines because Q told us Israel would be saved for last. So it raises a lot of interesting questions about what's happening in the Pacific Rim. Now, in that same report that I'm sure you probably haven't read because you said you hadn't, I had mentioned Ben Fulford, uh, but he he talked about um, CCP leaders who were recently taken out during a red October raid. I think it was somewhere around October 22nd. And I can't remember the individual's name, but a very high ranking Member of the CCP. And we certainly know that there's massive division. That's been one of the themes of our conversation tonight about, you know, divisions within the militaries all throughout the world. There's massive division within China between Chinese patriots and the CCP, which ultimately has to go before it's all said and done. And I've also heard reports that Xi, who I believe to be a white hat, is quietly preparing his successors behind the scenes amidst what appears to be, in my view anyway, a climactic moment approaching in this part of the world, perhaps an invasion of Taiwan and I mentioned North Korea. They're sort of the ever-present world wildcard, but certainly in that region of the world specifically. So what are your thoughts about how you see this theater playing out specifically given the recent developments that we've seen? Well, you know, I think when we bring
1: in the discussion of Israel being saved for last, I think that's a, a, a code for last, meaning the last phase, right? And we talked about that at the beginning of the call. This is going to be the last major marker in this phase. It's going to spawn off the series of events that we've talked about before. And I I think that's going to include what happens in the Pacific theater because of China's involvement financially, economically, and at least militarily in an advisory sense to the Arab nations and and a lot of the African nations. Um, you know how we look at this event play out in the Pacific. It's going to cripple and destroy um, the West's financial solvency. Quite frankly, we've got a tremendous amount of worldwide debt, you know, credit that's owed, excuse me, that's owned by these different areas um, in in the East: China, um, South Korea, Japan, Vietnam, um, Taiwan owns actually quite a bit of U.S. consumer debt. And so, when we look at this process, what happens in the Pacific theater is going to create instantaneous surface level real life effects for the peoples of the United States and in the Western European nations. Um, I think within hours, quite frankly. And so the launch of that campaign, uh, because of that, uh, ability to connect so, um, quickly and to produce produce an effect that is so profound, so fast. Uh, if, if we light that, you know, if we, if we light that flare too early, then we risk sort of blowing the entire, you know, um, warehouse up around us. Um, the thing with Israel, I think, is leading us into the, those market, those excuse me, those events, because what's happening in Israel is going to permanently squeeze out and, I think, cripple the ability of worldwide oil, uh, the petrodollar, to continue to fund all manner of nefariousness, not only in the Middle East, but all around the world, right? If you pay a mercenary off at a shipping yard, you're usually using U.S. dollars. Um, you can use Bolivian pesos or, you know— Dinar, things like that, but most people would want US dollars because of what's been created in the world economically over the last hundred years or so. Um, so looking at the disempowerment of that and the, and the, and the involvement of, of uh, big oil and the energy sector in sustaining that. I think the events in the Middle East are going to include the blockade of the Strait of Hormuz, which is going to produce a shock to the worldwide energy markets. I think several pipelines in the Middle East end up cut off or destroyed as a result of this, which will, you know, sort of drive those shocks home even more. And then to destroy the system completely, we launched the campaign in the Pacific, which will cripple the Wall Street markets, the bond markets, the US Treasury bond will go very, you know, probably near to zero, if not all the way to zero, once we see that massive sell off. And then the Japanese financial markets control a number, um, or excuse me, control a very large influence in the US commercial manufacturing base, right? The ability for uh, factories to pay their people and the ability for those supply chains to continue to be fed correctly um so those markets if those markets end up involved and i can't see how they wouldn't um you're going to see a reverberation that not only smacks americans in the white collar sense but also grinds a lot of the blue collar uh you know rubber meets the road manufacturing to a halt um, that, that I think will create economic chaos very quickly for the U.S. dollar, which all of us know is going to occur before these events are over. I'm not a financial advisor, but the serpentine dollar is one of the things that is, uh, the primary component of the ability for the, of the deep state to maintain its control, even as we are attempting to destroy them, right? We're going out and we're boycotting certain facilities and, and, you know, not spending our money in certain ways. We're dragging out. Through very complex military operations, a number of hidden money holes throughout the world, a number of laundering funnels, Ukraine being a great example of that, um, FTX and others. They admitted in court that FTX was essentially a money laundering operation for the Ukrainian government. A lot of us have known that for a while, but it's on public record now with actual documentation and evidence to prove that. And so this process will eventually include that serpentine dollar being taken out. And I don't think that death process is going to be very pretty, um, but I also don't think it's going to last very long. I think these events are going to sort of push us up to a precipice as a civilization where we all have to acknowledge we can either um, deescalate this immediately and try to find some way to figure out how we arrived here, or we could risk nuclear war and sort of destroying humanity's future forevermore. Um, I think at the baseline instinct level, most people across all creeds origins and political affiliations will agree that that is the proper method of doing this. And that's when we see, Um, I think the events of 2024, which will involve a military government in the United States for a very short period of time, an administered election of some sort, which will involve uh, paper ballots, likely watermarked or quantum imprinted so that they're sort of incontrovertible. Right. Um, And the restoration of we the people to power so that we can then hold a Nuremberg style worldwide tribunal, a coalition tribunal. Not only for COVID, but for all of the war crimes that have been committed against humanity for a number of decades now.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, before we switch over to domestic issues, I wanted I mean, it's hard to kind of separate one from another, but I try to sort of categorize everything together into geopolitics. And I think we have to at least talk about Ukraine for a moment. And now that this war has erupted in Israel, it seems like Zelensky is all bent out of shape because he feels like he's been abandoned by the West in what is ultimately, as we know, a losing effort to hold off Russia. And of course, we know that a big motivation to start this next war in Israel was firmly rooted in funding to keep the military-industrial complex going, particularly because the deep state has lost so much of their revenue, so many of their revenue streams have been taken out by the White Hats throughout the course of this campaign, not to mention fulfilling Albert Pike's blueprint written when he penned Morals and Dogma. I think it was back in 1871, very interesting year. But that's kind of a side issue. But now that the attention of the world has shifted to the Middle East, do you anticipate, how do you anticipate this is going to affect the situation in Ukraine? Do you, you think we're going to see? an unconditional surrender eventually as Zelensky sort of comes to the realization that there's no possible way he can fight on? Or do you think that the Russians are going to launch a direct assault on Kiev, given everything that's underneath Kiev that we know about to bring this Ukrainian theater to a close? How do you see that happening?
1: Um, you know, that's, this is a really interesting question. What The events that have been going on in the Middle East have provided the perfect worldwide cover, um, if you will, the perfect narrative space uh, distance for a massive escalation in the Ukrainian theater that nobody is talking about. The Russian military is actually beginning to enter the war now in regular forces format. They're no longer fighting with just the paramilitary forces, of which they had many, and they're very powerful and and well-equipped. Um, But we're now seeing the actual Russian military involved in this. And the encirclement of Evdivka has been accomplished in record time. Um, Just since the launch of hostilities in Israel on October the 7th of this year, the Russians have gained nearly 20 kilometers. um, And they are encircling a very large metro area and much in a very similar Bakhmut style pattern. The access points are very nearly cut off for the Ukrainians. And the one corridor that is not currently controlled by Russia into the city is being bombarded day and night. Um, So it's it's you know, another one of those situations where the Ukrainians are just not able to reinforce one another. Now, this on top of record attrition and record defection to the Russians, because the Russians um really do believe the Ukrainians to be a Slavic brothers in arms. Right. The same way that a Californian in the United States would view a Texan as a brother in arms. Um, You know, maybe not with that. Uh, locality, you know, is general per se, but it's a good analogy, I think, for the overall climate. And so the Russians, whenever they receive these mass surrenders, these these gentlemen are treated as warriors. They're given meals. They're given water. Um, They are kept under guard. Right. Sabotage is always a concern. Infiltration is always a concern. You have to accept some of those constraints. Right. But it's better than losing your life on the battlefield for a cause that you don't believe in. And that's what a lot of the Ukrainian military, especially in recent months, has been doing, because a lot of the ones that have been drafted and conscripted into that service um, were forced into that by the Ukrainian government. So you asked about the unconditional surrender. Of Kiev, I don't think that that is an option now for Russia. I think that they will demand an unconditional surrender. And I think that they will go as far as they need to in order to accomplish that goal. Avdivka is not very far from Kiev. And remember, we have a tremendous component of Russian-aligned uh, PMC Wagner forces that are growing by the week. Um, in the southern portion of belarus and they could very easily go along the entire northwest border of ukraine where the ukrainian and the polish countryside meet and prevent western nato forces from interfering in a campaign on kiev i think a campaign on kiev is going to happen because they've been targeted um, through air raids and precision strikes now for going on a year um, most of those have been weapons caches personnel command centers um, air defense platforms missile systems biological laboratories, right? things of that nature that have been targeted. And so this is a softening up of the infrastructure that that is going to offer you the most militarized resistance when you finally arrive at the city. And I think that we're setting that up now. I think that escalation is probably going to come through the winter. The Russians are legendary when it comes to winter fighting, and this is going to be a situation, I think, where we're very much going to see the what remains of a Nazi group um, sort of symbolically pitted once again against the Red Army in the wintertime. Um, except this time, the Red Army is not simply acting at the behest of another side of the feeder cabal. This time, the Red Army is operating on behalf of a We the People candidate. Um, it's going to be very, very interesting. And I think before this process is over, we're going to see the Baltic states involved. Uh, NATO involvement in worldwide conflict is something we haven't talked about on our cast today yet, but we should broach it here. Turkey, I believe, is going to be the suicide arm for NATO. NATO. Uh, Turkey's involvement in the Middle East, I think, is going to force NATO to question whether or not they come to the collective defense of an ally. And if they do, um, their ability to resist Russia in Ukraine is essentially moot. Um So we're going to see, I think, a suicide situation put up with NATO where they have to uh, divide themselves out and spread themselves so thinly that they will burst. Um This is going to be an incredible and amazing time. But I do think it's going to get a little bit more arduous in Eastern Europe before this is all over.
0: Absolutely. I tend to agree, my friend. Okay, well, you touched upon the financial theater, so I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. So why don't we pivot here and we'll talk about the financial front. Now, I'm sure you're aware that Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, and I believe some others, but those were the major big Wall Street banks that have had issues over the past few days in processing direct deposits. This was widely circulated even in the mainstream media. Obviously, they can't ignore something like this. And the problem reportedly revolved around direct deposits not updating due to a delay in processing transactions through the ACH, which is the automated clearinghouse. And that's the network that handles all of these transactions. And so many people are wondering if this is an indicator of ongoing financial warfare prior to the rollout of the QFS. And not only that. Your post the other day on Truth Social that I actually talked about in my podcast last night showing the current credit crunch, the credit contraction that's mirroring the trajectory that we saw prior to the crash in 2008 certainly indicates that we're headed for what is very likely going to be an inflationary depression. And again, I broke that down on my update last night. But certainly, we've seen numerous financial anomalies happen in recent months. So I'm curious if you view this incident and the other examples I'm sure you've heard of about debt forgiveness and many many other anomalies within the banking system, indicate that we're getting very close to this transitional period. And certainly, there's been a continual flow of bank failures. That's can, that's something that seems to not really have slowed down all that much. And I I do believe that in the next several months we're going to see more and more of that. So. Having said all that, I think that we're getting very close to what we commonly refer to as the black swan event, which is the market essentially just just tanking that is going to coincide with, I've always believed, this near-death experience precipice of destruction. I always saw that you know all of these storm clouds, in essence, coming together, and the financial one was always a key element of that. So I'm curious to hear your perspective on that angle, these recent uh, – Delays and direct deposits, how you interpret that and where you think we are on the financial front.
1: Well, I think on the financial front, we, we can't conclude anything else if we're paying attention to the signs that there is an active power struggle going on back and forth in the cyber and digital arenas of the world, which is where world finance has moved to, whether we like it or not. Um, even in the current system, 80 percent plus of our transactions, really closer to 90 percent at this point, are electronic in some form or fashion. And we have vastly depleted amounts of physical liquid currency that are actually in circulation by comparison proportionally to even something like 1990 or 1995. Um, so we are in a digital monetary age and we're seeing a power struggle play out in that arena in real time. Um, cyber attacks occurring against major financial institutions, right? They've ramped up. They've not gotten any better. Wells Fargo reported a cyber attack just not a couple of weeks ago. Now, um, this past Friday, the State Bank of Iowa failed and was put into FDIC, or excuse me, the Bank of Iowa uh, was put into FDIC receivership. Yet another community regional level bank um, that is folding under the pressure of what is clearly a, a job of the hut that is growing at an at an exponential rate. And the litter that's underneath the the hut is not able to support it any, any longer. Right. Um, so the events that are occurring right now, they're showing us in real time that a transition is happening. Um Public favor is at the highest, I think, that it has ever been for a remastering, a redoing of how the financial system and how that layout is conducted. Wall Street Apes put up a, a poll recently on Truth Social and Twitter asking the same question, and more than 95% of respondents on Truth and more than 70% of respondents on Twitter, even with all of the bots on Twitter, responded back that this was the proper method to go about it, which was to redesign the Fed and implement a new monetary fiscal system here in the United States of America. Based on the Treasury, based on the Constitution and based on some sort of measure of value. These are these sort of the, the intrinsic implications of these questions. Right. Um, so recently, the U.S. Debt Clock Project, um, you know, a, an algorithm driven project that's run silently in the background by individuals um, that we really can't sort of put a face or name to uh, and very well could be part of the White, the White Hat Alliance for all we know. Had been communicating out that the financial system is changing because the Federal Reserve's uh, dollars to oil and dollars to gold and silver ratios have has been zero for a while now. The clock also has changed the language from Federal Reserve notes and Federal Reserve dollars to U.S. Treasury dollars, which is significant. Just recently we saw. On this website, a post of the Tin Man from the Wizard of Oz put out there that that stated money creation is a scam only a wizard could love. And that ties back to some of the Q drops. Wizards and warlocks is a very well used term at the dark occult um, military intelligence control levers that a lot of these individuals and circles are a part of. Um, They believe themselves to be sort of fantastical beings in their own rights. And so they tell these fairy tales about themselves that they then ingrain into our culture through pop, you know, through pop productions and music and movies and things of that nature. So to see this out on the deck clock, this is literally us using their symbolism against them. This is literally us showing them that um, they're, you know, this system that was created only a wizard could love is a heartless system because they picked the guy from the Wizard of Oz who didn't have a heart. Um, so, looking at this process, we are we're going to see a de a destabilization, I think, of the U.S. dollar system en mass, the swift transactional system as a whole, throughout the entire world. Um, it's going to call into question the legality of things like the Bretton Woods Act, right? The Bretton Woods Act in Congress uh, essentially cr- created monetary policy for the entire world. Uh, How many of the nations of the world at that time, not just the ones in the West, but all of the all of the other ones who are caught up in these sorts of agreements, especially in the Middle East, tying back to events now, how many nations were given a true say in that? Um, These are questions that have to be answered in this process, and the death of the dollar, while unpleasant, is going to mean our liberation and our freedom going forward. Having a currency that is tied to some sort of standard of value, some sort of physical world unit of measurement that cannot be corrupted is paramount to preventing the types of things in this world that have happened from ever happening again. The process, I can't I can't imagine that the process going through that is going to be very pleasant for those of us that are caught up literally living in the house with the beast. But getting the beast out of the house and completely disempowered, I think, is, is the overall mission that all of us would like to see. And I think we have very good evidence to show that that process is proceeding forward at a very rapid pace.
0: Absolutely, I agree. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's going on domestically in terms of the stage being set for Trump's January 6th trial. Now, you alluded to this a little while ago, and this is something that I've been very excited about. I've been talking about on my show for the last several episodes. Now, as you know, his legal team announced, and you you mentioned this earlier, that they're going to be using classified documents to defend Trump, which they say are going to prove election fraud, going all the way back, to 2016 and, of course, 2020. And presumably, this is the same proof that Trump initially announced. I'm sure you recall that he was going to share at a press conference in the days after his J6 indictment before his lawyers supposedly talked him out of it, all of which I interpret as theater. I'm sure you do as well. But in any event, to me, this evidence has to be directly from the military, specifically Space Force. And if that premise is correct, then this move could very well be the famous Trump card that's been speculated about now for the past several years as this pantomime has played out. And certainly we know that the J6 charges all hinge upon proving election fraud. And this evidence would indeed be irrefutable, as we all know. So what are your thoughts on these classified documents? I thought we could maybe go into a little bit more depth there. I know you mentioned it earlier that are going to be presented during Trump's trial, which, by the way, is going to be live stream. And how do you think this is going to play out? How do you think the deep state is going to respond? I think it's about to get really wild.
1: You know, Patriot. We always it's inevitable with us. We always talk about a topic that is going to come up in the next file that's currently in production. And the Trump card specifically, that terminology is absolutely a portion of that. And so looking at the Trump trials, they are the Trump card in my estimation. And the reason I believe that is because these trials are slated to be to begin on March the 4th of 2024. On March the 3rd of 2024, 24 hours prior to that. Is a five year, uh, yes, a five year. I had to double check myself a five year delta with Q drop 2936, which is the only drop that contains the phrase the Trump card. And the drop is at what stage in the game do you play the Trump card? Mm-hmm. So we're going to see this happen as a result of the Trump trials. And I think what occurs here is an unquestionable situation where the U.S. military is given a public choice who will you serve on behalf of we the people? Because now we the people know. That you have the wrong commander in chief as it pertains to us optically, as it pertains to what we can see down here at the civilian citizen level. This guy is a Manchurian and he shouldn't be in the position. And what are you, Pentagon, Department of Defense, U.S. military patriots, what are you going to do about it? And I think we're going to see something that is is unprecedented, quite frankly, in American history. I think we're going to see Biden as a result of. The evidence that's being presented over the longitudinal period of these trials could, because remember, these trials will not be simply days. They'll be several weeks, I think, um, moving through the spring and into the summer of 2024. I think we see Biden invoke, excuse me, or, or a member of that administration, assuming that Biden gets 25th amendmented and, and pulled out of there. Um, I think we see a member of that administration invoke the 1973 War Powers Act, an attempt to suspend elections. Um, this process, you know, because this is a primary season, right? So you'll be entering into the primary, moving into the fall. So I think what's going to happen here is we're going to force their hand in a way with these Trump trials that will be epic for American history. Um, this is truly founding fathers type things because we're going to be introducing into the legal space military evidence collected by the, the lawful, duly elected commander in chief, the lawful representative, of both the people and also the US military during his time in office and the evidence was collected during a period of time in his time in office where he was legally entitled to every military intelligence and sit you know situation room briefing that would have been applicable to the or relevant excuse me to these issues at hand So and I think we see a tremendous amount of that evidence shown out in these court records because this is a former president utilizing what they had at the time, which was classified document authority, virtually limitless, according to the Presidential Records Act, um, which is another issue, ironically, that's been brought up in the lead up to these Trump trials. Um, I think we're going to see the introduction of irrevocable proof that is going to stun uh, even the uh, the impatriate community and the non-community, I think it's going to be a big wake up call for us at a community level, because I think we're going to see how these um, these cheating operations are funneled and controlled and through whom um, they're uh, being funneled and controlled by at the local community level. Um, this is going to be a very big thing. And moving through uh, 2024, I think we see a number of events Uh, attempted by the the deep state remnant in response to this because at that point the emperor has no clothes and everyone's sunglasses are off
0: absolutely i mean i think i'm looking at this as the real trigger that's going to set them off and we we already know that they've got a whole cadre of different false flags that they could pull i mean we've talked a lot about EMP. We've talked a lot about uh, certainly some sort of a, you know, a dirty bomb type of scenario. I, I don't think it's going to really go in that direction. I don't think the white hats uh, I think they've ultimately uh, taken care of most of those threats, let's just say, but certainly you may have a different perspective on that, but there's, there's many different angles. They could, they could pull the false flag alien invasion. They've, they've been setting that up. They, they've been building that narrative now for months. It seems like we're getting more and more information about, you know, through the mainstream media, they want us to to shift our attention in this direction. So that's that's very telling. But I've I view this as being the real moment where they're going to have to make whatever big final moves that they have planned. They're really they're kind of in a in a position at that point where they have no choice because, as you said, these trials are, are not just going to be a matter of days. It's not just going to be a matter of a news cycle or two. We're talking about several weeks. And as I pointed out, they're going to be live streamed, which I don't think is a mistake. I don't think it's an accident that this is the the big trial. The big kahuna here is going to be live streamed for all the world to see. So it certainly raises a lot of interesting questions about how the deep state is going to respond under those circumstances. Do you have any further thoughts on that or should we move on to the next one?
1: Well, you know, Q tells us that a comms blackout and an Internet shutdown and those terms are used specifically by Q. Q tells us that's coming. Um We have a good reference point in one of the drops to discuss an internet kill switch pertaining to the release of information about Barack Obama, which could very well come from these trials, because who coordinated the fraud in 2016? It was the Hussein Obama White House and the different feeder arms that that had into the DNC and the DOJ and the control of the FISA court, which is going to come back again in this in this trial as well. And Q says FISA brings down the House. So the Internet. At some point in this journey. Uh, is going to be turned off because that will be the only option right and a live streaming of this type of evidence out to the world um that very much i think would coincide or or could coincide very well um with with the need to do something that dramatic um i'm going to re- i'm going to reserve concluding and confirming on that because i really don't know what is the breaking point right what is the point where we can no longer uh, risk the public knowing anything or maybe what's the point where the public knows so much that we might as well turn the communication ability off anyway, right? This is sort of the question, um, and it's difficult to, to speculate that. But at the end of the day, what what this is going to do prior to any sort of, I think, blackout of any significant uh, format is it's going to show the American people and the world um, with enough empirical data and enough um, collected evidence that there was massive coordinated mafioso-style election fraud that disempowered the great U.S. election system, right, the beacon of freedom and liberty everywhere in the world. Oh, and by the way, all of these people are in your nations as well. So this is going to be, I think, a catalyzing event for we, the people everywhere. And I do think it will lead eventually to some sort of a comms blackout. How crazy things get in the lead up to that is, I think, is anyone's guess. Um, But, you know, QDROP34 is very profound in telling us that there is a point in time where the emergency alert system is going to be used um, we the people patriots will be taking back our country as a matter of fact q said in the drop that you'll know we're taking back our country um and so you know what events have to lead up to the inauguration or excuse me to the um the utilization of that sort of um an extreme you know measure i really don't know but i think an internet blackout happens right around the same time that something along those lines would have to occur
0: absolutely well earlier today i put out a short little video for my listeners just to kind of preview our conversation tonight and this was actually a topic that I really wanted to get to before we reached the end of our interview tonight there's a few more subjects I want to pick your brain on but I definitely wanted to to hear your thoughts on there was a re- there was actually a recent post uh, by Q the storm I'm not sure if you follow him or are familiar with him but it was all centered around Elon Musk who certainly is an individual that you and I have discussed in the past and certainly I think both of us agree that Elon is a white hat, or at least whomever is portraying him is a white hat, because it's very likely that the real Elon was eliminated and replaced. But in any event, Q the Storm Rider stated that Elon has a high level position inside the Space Force. And eventually, he's going to be turned on by virtually everyone, both the cabal and the white hats for optical reasons, and brought before Congress sometime in 2024, for congressional hearings that he calls soft tribunals that are ultimately going to expose social media's collusion with the three-letter agencies to steal the elections. And essentially, Musk is going to be the vehicle by which Space Force brings forth much of this incriminating evidence against the deep state, of course, in conjunction, obviously, with Trump's trial. But this would be really geared more toward the three-letter agencies, the tech giants, and whatever comes of this, that these revelations are going to ultimately connect the dots between the election theft and the pandemic as a sort of two-pronged attack to remove Trump from office and really what amounted to a coup. So what's your reaction to that information and how does it reflect or differ from your overall viewpoint on the role that Elon Musk is playing in exposing the cabal's operations?
1: Well, I hadn't read that report I find it fascinating because I'm kind of arriving at similar conclusions, maybe not in the same terminology, but very similar conclusions as to what Elon's role is going to be moving forward. He retained the position of chief technology officer at Twitter. Um, If I'm not mistaken, he is still the largest shareholder of the company. We have this um, sort of WEF installation CEO, um, but the shadow ban or excuse me, but the overt banning has gone has gotten way less on Twitter. We still have the issues of shadow banning, soft censorship. And Elon still talks about, you know, policing hate speech and things like that. But. By and large, we have evidence to show that this is a guy who's acting in the interests of humanity, and actually said as much on Joe Rogan recently, where he came out and said, you know, I'm against the instinct, the extinctionists. I'm for humanity. Um, now, what that means and, and how that ties back into things like Neuralink and the ability of uh, the transhumanistic agenda to control mankind, I think that's where this is going. Um, I think the the issue with Twitter. Um, is is sort of exemplary of the issue in all of social media, if we go back and look at the cyrus parsa foundation's lawsuit that was uh, alleged or, or excuse me entered in the u s district Court for the Southern District of California in February of twenty twenty the lawsuit is a tremendous allegation against the Obama White House, all of the western governments, all of the mainstream media networks, all of the major corporate retail giants. And, and that includes um, all of your big tech sector, your Silicon Valley, right? Your Nvidia, um, all of the different semi- semiconductor groups of essentially the transhumanistic agenda. Uh, the lawsuit highlights out the, the the utilization of AI to coordinate and actually enhance the effectiveness of genocide in the Chinese uh, population, especially in eastern or excuse me, in western China over these last uh, few years, as that as that development has occurred silently there um the Obama White House's complicity in the same, right? And the utilization of Google's network infrastructure around the world to trans uh to transfer these sorts of protocols and files back and forth between entities. Twitter, I think, is going to be the the opening doorway to that. And the reason why is because of the pandemic. Um, the silencing of health information, but also anything that pertained to the AI weaponization of humanity, which is what it amounts to, right? The weaponization of the biological genome by merging it with technologic intelligence, uh, which is artificially programmed and directed by someone else, right? Um, so the transhumanist agenda is something that a lot of people have not been able to wrap their, their brains around, even in the awakened community. Uh, hardly anyone really talks about it with any significance very often, with the exception of a couple individual, a couple of individuals. Um, but it's a major, major component of where these people were taking this idea of AI. This idea of multiple pandemics rolling out through the through mankind it wasn't just depopulation we needed mankind to be afraid of nature so that they would so that they would willingly consent to putting machinery in their bodies uh, machinery at the genetic mrna level right turning themselves into a a different species and in fact these individuals are so sick that they have a patent for a a, a different species called homoborg genesis um, which is exactly what that sort of process would look like um so The Twitter files unearthed Twitter's cooperation and collusion with the U.S. government, but also the U.S. intelligence communities. And we didn't talk a lot about that um, after those files, you know, sort of became a thing and then began dropping in a less exciting way. Uh, But one of the things that they did introduce us to is that the intelligence community has direct control and influence over nearly everything that happens at all of the major social media and big tech giants. Why is that important? Well, that's important because the intelligence community are the gatekeepers for the individuals who launched the depopulation campaign. I think Twitter is going to be a gateway. Um Elon Musk uh, uh being called to testify before Congress and likely being called to testify with military tribunals around the world moving forward, a number of which I think will be put on by coalitions moving forward. I think that's going to be the introduction into how we coordinated at the public surface level the censorship and channeling and shutdown of information that was against the transhumanistic extinctionist population control plan, um, which, again, is something that a lot of patriots out there and especially those non the, the non awake patriots, what we would call the normie patriots. They just have not come around to. And it's it's a very difficult point of discussion to have. It's very unpleasant. Um, but it's going to be crucial, I think, to highlight out before this is all over. I think we see the the correlation of that, um, or, or excuse me, the 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 longitudinal progress of that will probably include the manipulation of elections. I can't imagine that it would not, but I think the overall flavor of what Elon's role is going to be moving forward is highlighting just how colossally evil Silicon Valley, big tech, and the idea of artificial intelligence control of humanity really was.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, you're 100% right, my friend. And certainly, all credit to Carrie Cassidy. She's one of the voices out there that has been really at the forefront of exposing this transhumanist agenda. And I think, as more and more of the truth comes out about COVID through Elon, and essentially the framework that you were just describing, I think that there is going to be a gradual awakening to this agenda. But you're absolutely right. And I'm glad you you sort of framed it that way as the normie patriots. I never really heard it put quite that way. But uh, there really is sort of uh, two different classes of, of awaken and, and there aren't a lot of folks out there. I mean, certainly my audience is very well versed in this. I talk about this quite frequently. I've had many guests on my show who have broken it down. But, you know, so they're, they're very, you know, very much up to speed. But there are many, many audiences out there, I think, especially those who are very um and and I mean this with all due respect, but that are very religiously based and you know biblically based that don't really broach these topics and these are really, really important because they they are as you pointed out they're exactly where we were being herded that's exactly where we were being led, and as you pointed out also, they have these patents that in essence they were they were planning on owning us literally. Uh, creating an entirely new species. This ties into the jab. It ties into what they've been putting in the foods, all of the silent weapons that they've been hitting us with for decades. And this is a major, major aspect of this war. And I agree with you, it doesn't get uh, enough attention. But I'm glad that you took my question about Elon and really highlighted that. So that's that's fantastic. Now, a couple more things I wanted to ask you about. What is your viewpoint on the new Speaker of the House and the fact that, that he was sworn in, I'm sure you've probably heard this, that he was sworn in as the 45th Speaker of the House instead of the 53rd, following the tenure of Nancy Pelosi, who was indeed the 52nd. And then we come to rediscover that the 44th Speaker of the House ended his tenure upon the establishment of the corporation back in the 1870s. So are these return to the republic comms in your view? What are your thoughts on that? And what are your thoughts on the new speaker?
1: Well, I do think the calm is there that this is a return to the American Republican, um, you know, sovereign form of government, which is exactly what it always was supposed to have been and what it was for a very long time. Um, the the my thoughts on the new speaker, I, I think, remains to be sort of fleshed out. I don't want to comment yet because we really don't have a very long track record. I'm unimpressed by the vote to send billions in aid overseas immediately and then run to Sean Hannity. Um I am concerned that the largest uh, entity that donated um, to his recent re-election campaign, which I believe was in 2021, was the Americans for Israel Political Action Committee, um, which is one of the largest political action committees in Washington, D.C. They have tremendous lobbying power across both sides, Republicans and Democrats alike. Um, if you go look at their support record, it actually makes a lot of sense when you look at those who immediately chimed in for let's send weapons you know, to Israel and, and grease the military industrial complex. Um but Speaker Johnson also refused to certify the 2020 election, and that's my hang-up. That's the that's the, um, the hair in the pie, if you will, for me um, as far as drawing a, a dead conclusion on him one way or the other, so I'm just sort of waiting to see. I'm heartened by that reality. I'm heartened by the, the focus on normalizing sexual behavior, which has been a, a big political focus of his for a while. Um, I think it's, you know, I think it gets taken a little too far by some schools of thought. Um, but I think that there does need to be some sort of moral, you know, compass as it pertains to how we handle this concept of reproduction and sexuality and what men and women are uh, spiritually and physiologically, right? Because now we're having to rebroach this silly issue uh, with our generations of youth. And I, I think we're up to that task, but I'm heartened to see that this is someone who, you know, in the levers of power in the House of, of We the People, the House of Representatives that has this lens. So we'll see. Um, my overall my overall um, issue, I think, right now is uh, how we're going to see the the issue of the election. Um, if it's going to be brought up in the House of Representatives or when it will be, um, I'd like to continue or I'd like to see him continue the investigations into the Biden crime family. I think that he will. Um, but as, as, it, as it pertains right now, you know, in this this here and moment in present time, I think my jury is still out.
0: Absolutely, well, that's a fair response. He's only been there for what a couple of weeks now, but you know there are some encouraging signs, but as you pointed out, there are also a lot of hang ups and I think those are very legitimate one one positive sign I had also heard is that he was set to release the entirety of the j six footage I think it was to the blaze if I'm not mistaken, so that's a good sign as well and uh you know i'm I'm curious uh it just actually popped into my head. I wasn't really planning on asking you this, but um Tucker Carlson, who I, I find myself agreeing with literally 99.999% of the time, he came out, uh, interestingly, with a statement on a podcast that he was on when he was asked uh, about RFK. And he he said that essentially that he believes that RFK is going to take votes away from Trump and not Biden. And he said something along the lines of there's nobody thinking to themselves, oh, I'm either going to vote for Kennedy or I'm going to vote for Biden. And when I saw that, I I thought to myself, wow, this is this is a rare moment where I find myself actually disagreeing with Tucker Carlson, because I mean, I have nothing but respect and and admiration for the man. But I I really don't see it that way. And I was very curious to hear your thoughts, because certainly there is there's a lens you could look at it in, in in terms of. RFK and Trump being on the same page and on multiple different issues, or at least that's the way it appears, but. I just, I really don't see the the angle that that Tucker was was kind of you know trying to hang his hat on there, saying that you know kind of unequivocally that there's nobody who's who's really thinking in these terms. Now I've always believed that RFK's primary function, first of all, that he is a white hat, that he's part of this whole operation, and that his his function was to come in and essentially with his name recognition and certainly his history of supporting many different liberal, quote unquote, liberal issues, that he would have a lot of credibility in the left, and he would be able to red pill them significantly and move them closer to the center, closer to the Democratic Party of old, closer to the, the JFK Democrats, as they're called. I've never really seen him as being a real contender with Trump. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, you know, my th- thoughts on this actually, Patriot, they're split. Um, I think I think that both schools of thought actually have serious support and a good justification, right? You've got RFK who, for better or for worse, has managed to red pill a tremendous amount of the socially progressive left. Um, this is a guy who in a time where discussion about, uh, you know, injuries from vaccinations, the dangers of modern medicine, the unaccountability that's present in some of the modern medical you know regulatory complex, for example, and the lack of oversight. You know, this is someone who has been he's been on this narrative for a very long time and so we finally have a lot of liberal progressives who are free thinkers who are willing to be patriotic when given the right information uh, but perhaps they don't want the sort of you know you know red-blooded american attitude on life that a lot of the patriot community has um that are beginning to come around and say well you know this maybe this idea of you know having control of these levers of powers constricting the bureaucracy uh, accountability for the intelligence community maybe these are not so bad after all so in, in that effect in that way, uh, RFK is actually really helping the patriot cause, right, really helping to unite the country around some common themes and some common interests. My concern, and I think this might be Tucker Carlson's concern as well, is that all of the vaccine injured patriots who voted for Trump and took the vaccine because Trump suggested they get the vaccine are now very angry. And they don't trust President Trump. And rightfully so. Um, it's been a necessary tactic to be deployed, I think, in an irregular war, especially when you're talking about the war for the destiny of mankind, uh, because if we fail in this endeavor, then we lose ourselves forever and our children will be resigned to lives of total digital slavery. Um So I think it is worth noting that those those sorts of considerations have to be weighed when we look at the longevity of the human spirit, the longevity of the human identity. But there's a number of awakened patriots who are very, very upset at President Trump. And there's a number of vaccine injured patriots who have the same sort of vitriol. Excuse me. And I could very well see them crossing the aisle for a candidate that has 20 plus years of essentially lobbying against and sort of taking to task the military medical industrial complex, which is what Pfizer and big pharma and the FDA, you know, collusive circle have all created. Um, my concern with RFK is that his appeal to the awakened community, the individuals who are realizing that pharma is bad, that vaccines do in fact cause autism um, quite a number of times, that there's an enormous correspondence or, excuse me, correlation between sudden infant death syndrome and those first six shots that children are given in their first 12 months of being here in the world. Um, and, you know, there's six shots for a reason because they love their symbolism. Um, RFK has a really good history of of being able to say, I will deep disempower and and take down the pharma cartel. And there's a lot of patriots that I think when rubber meets the road and we start looking at rhetoric and actions, RFK has both and President Trump has only rhetoric at this point.
0: Very interesting response. So do you agree with my basic premise? I don't want to dig too deep into this, but do you agree with my basic premise that rfk is a white hat or do you think the jury is still out because if if that is the case then it would seem to me that because you you know you, you make a very good point that are there are a lot of folks out there I, I don't i don't necessarily know that i would maybe they're more awake than they were back in 2020 but i would kind of categorize anybody who took the vaccine as being sort of a normie patriot who listened to trump and this is certainly a topic that i've I've been wondering about for quite some time is that I agree with you. This was a necessary tactic. This was this is war for really not just our planet, but really the entire universe, the the entire I mean, just the scope can't get any larger. And most people don't understand that. And that's sort of alluding back to earlier portions of our conversation. But there are a lot of folks out there who took Trump's what they thought was Trump's advice, urging them to get the jab. And here they are. All of these, you know, these few years later, having perhaps lost loved ones or developed health issues of their own, that they're very, very angry. And I've I've often questioned that, you know, how is Trump going to square that with the American people, with the entire world, really? And I've projected, really, that that was going to happen during some future military tribunals. But as it pertains to the election. Uh, If RFK, going back to my question, if RFK is a white hat and he's part of this operation to red pill the left, as I pointed out, uh, it seems like at least portions of that could be backfiring. That's one way to look at it. But the other the other way to look at it is I think both of us agree we're not going to really get to the 2024 election without seeing military intervention anyway. So any thoughts on that? Do you want to drill into that a little bit further?
1: Well, you know, as far as characterizing white hat, black hat, gray hat, you know, I think RFK is uh, probably somewhere in the middle. I don't think that he's part and party to a, you know an overarching cog operation that he's aware of, or if he is aware of it, it would be in a highly compartmentalized way. Um, But this is this is a guy that I think we have to we have to look at the overall gains here that are being made, not just in the kinetic world, but in consciousness warfare. Are we unifying the country more because he's running for president or are we dividing the country more? I think when we when we dissolve political divides, we're probably contributing to a greater unification of the whole. Because we have this guy who's reaching a class of voters who will simply turn the television or the radio or the or the the live stream off if President Trump comes on board, right? If if they're they're just not going to listen to the man, and that's that's not the four to six percent I think the Q says are lost forever. That's just that that 20 to 25 percent of the population that's very very brainwashed and gaslit, very prideful I think, and very secure. In their interpretations of the world and, and in how they believe the world to be. And it frightens them that it would be, you know, so colossally different. And they're not willing to entertain something that's coming from President Trump, but they will listen to a respected, you know, sort of, you know, boomer generation or Gen X, you know, um, uh, politician that's of their sides has sort of the same sort of progressive ideals excuse me, a lot of the same very liberal policy, you know, lenses to look at the world through. I think that's very relatable. And, and we're broaching the topic of, you know, vaccine injury, uh, crimes against humanity being, being committed through the vector of modern medicine in a, in a very effective way. So I think from a unifying point of view at a consciousness warfare space, this may be a, uh, a necessary evil to, you know, forward the mission of bringing the country together and uniting the country. Um, A lot of people don't realize that when Barack Obama, when he was in office from 2008 to 2016, the entire flavor, one of the main purposes of that presidency domestically was to destroy the American ability to resist totalitarian control, and that was to push divide, to create chaos and consternation, and to really – flame the 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 fan or fan the flames excuse me of social and class warfare and that's exactly what that administration did um uh, in, in a very stunning fashion and so we have to bring the country together in this process rfk for president kennedy i think 2024.com the the website rfk for president um that was registered the domain for that was registered in 2016 so mm-hmm. this has been a longitudinal consideration whether it's for the good or for the bad or whether it's someone who's just Uh, sort of looking at, at the, the world in the future and, you know, waiting for the right time to run. And we really don't know. Um, but what we can say is it's having a unifying effect, but it does have the consideration that you risk splitting some of the Trump MAGA, MAGA base because a lot of that MAGA base are very, very awake. A lot of that MAGA patriot community have been. Um, You know, on places like Rumble and Truth Social, or they've been to Trump rallies where a lot of these sorts of topics uh, get broached in general conversation. Right. So you've got a tremendous amount of that community that, as we highlighted earlier, is having a hard time reconciling the irregular warfare need of the of the rhetoric from President Trump and the different actions that the U.S. military was authorized to conduct under warp speed. With the reality of the vaccine injuries and the the crimes that have come as a result of these companies having um, sort of unfettered access under this fake Biden administration to do the things that they wish to do, so this is going to be really really interesting I think as we go through this process and like you highlighted earlier, if we assume that a 2024 election is not even going to happen or is not going to happen in the traditional way that it happens where we go to the polling centers we get the day off from work excuse me, we cast our ballot electronically and then we hope it doesn't get manipulated. I think it's going to be a much more organized, much more closely monitored situation. Um, And the net the net gain of an RFK candidacy for president is that we unite the country in very significant ways without losing anything at the end game. If the end game is zero sum already.
0: Absolutely. Well, S.G., this has been a great conversation and I'm going to hit you with, excuse me, one last question. It's kind of like a three-parter, but I'm going to keep it really simple. What key events, in your view, need to happen prior to the EBS? Do you think that Biden is going to – fake Biden, I always have to say. Do you think that fake Biden is going to attempt to bring back the military draft because that's something that's been talked about a little bit? And does Trump come back and stop World War III prior to the November election?
1: I think that he will stop World War 3 prior to November of 2024. He's just he's beating that drum so loudly that if he were to not do that it wouldn't make sense in a longitudinal counterintelligence fashion. Um so that I think is absolutely going to play out which means we're going to be brought to the brink um maybe even a conflict in progress, right? Um that threatens the existence of human civilization. So I think going through this period of time, what we see happening prior to the EAS is some sort of extreme destabilization of our societies in the West, financial or black swan, I think, is part of that infiltration um, and, and different assets that have come across our poorest borders, not just in the U.S., but in Europe as well i think that's another consideration for that um and and we would have to talk about those points for another time because i also believe that there are multi-dimensional counterintelligence angles that have to be considered with those with those events and those circumstances as well there are again gains and losses in this back and forth that we have and if we can have a net gain that justifies the losses when it comes to destroying the deep state and their ability to control the world um I think we see Biden attempt to stop or one of the members of the administration, as we highlighted earlier, attempt to stop the electoral process completely. Um, An Internet shutdown is going to happen along in this journey because Q tells us that. And I haven't been able to find just about anything that Q said was going to occur that has not occurred either over the last five years or up to this point on some sort of a delta. Um, and we highlighted the Trump card earlier in the conversation just as one of many examples of that, right? The Israeli stand down order given for the Mossad and dropped 2337. That's another excellent, um, you know, relevant point to recent times and what occurred here in the last 30 days. So moving through this process, I think we see a tremendous amount of destabilization occur. I think the world is brought to a questioning point where we all have to acknowledge now that we have capability to interact digitally with one another in real time. that this is not in any of our best interest and that we all need to sort of look up, if we will, at those that are in the levers of power in our communities, states, federal offices and things like that. And appreciate that they're not working on behalf of we, the people, and that they're trying to start, you know, essentially what amounts to an extinction level event. And that, I think, propels us through all the other issues that we've talked about, because when mankind's consciousness comes around to the fact that that actually occurred, while unpleasant, and while we know that the justice from that, that emanates from that realization will be swift and furious and and um, sort of final in its totality – that opens up a completely new realm of what is possible for we the people at a macro civilizational level moving forward because our consciousness as a group, as a species, has now been expanded in a colossal fashion. So it's going to be very fun as we go through you know, turning the weapons of government and justice against them and destroying them permanently moving through, I think, 2025 and through the remainder, frankly, of this decade. But beyond that, um, you know, it's it's anyone's ballpark at that point. And I think it's going to be a very fun and exciting time for humanity.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's always a pleasure listening to you, SG. I could listen to you all day long. I always like to give my guests the opportunity at the end. I certainly know we've covered a a massive amount of information tonight, but is there anything that we haven't covered or is there anything you want to leave the audience with just in terms of final thoughts before we wrap this up?
1: I mean, I always leave on on some sort of an optimistic note because I firmly do believe that we are in the greatest period of human history since the walking of Jesus here in the world. We are throwing off the power structure, and this time we're not throwing off an angle or a component part of that structure and leaving the beast's heart and the brains intact. We are bringing the entire hydra down because in the information age, they can no longer hide. So our spiritual identity, our destiny as mankind is is wrapped up in this. And we have to remember that this is not um, a journey, I think, for the faint of heart. We were chosen for a very difficult mission. We were chosen because we're right for it, because God knows that we're right for it. And it's going to be a very exciting time for us as we move forward and reclaim the levers of power and then put the the system, the screws of the system that they built to torture us back onto them.
0: Amen, brother. Well, we had quite an audience tonight listening in on our live stream. So I just want to thank everybody out there for taking the time to listen. And I certainly know there will be many, many others who listen to this conversation. And like I said, SG, you're amazing. You really are a gem. The way that you break down all of this information, the way that you respond to all of my questions in such detail, it's truly amazing. I know that everybody out there in the audience appreciates it. So thank you so much, for coming onto my platform. I'd love to get you back on soon. We'll do another follow-up conversation. But until then, everybody, I will be back with another report, hopefully in the next couple of days. I'm going to be having Jim Willie on the show, I believe, next Wednesday. So stay tuned. Thank you, everybody, for listening. God bless and Godspeed. Patriot out.